0: What is up, Baton Rouge, and welcome back to the Tiger Pride Podcast presented by 225 Magazine. I'm Mark Clements here, as always, with Jarrett Roser of TigerDetails.com, and it's finally game week. Thank goodness we've gone through some preseason uh, episodes of the podcast where we've talked to different players and coaches. Jarrett and I have broken down the entire offense, the entire defense, and now we finally get to talk some X's and O's uh, this Sunday, September 2nd, LSU, number 25, taking on number 8 Miami in Jerry World over in Dallas, kickoff set for about 6.30 p.m. on ABC. Before we get too much into this game, let's go to some of the, um, well, I want to start every episode with whatever comments we have from the last episode.
1: Yeah, it's, it's game week. People should be excited we'll, and happy and stuff, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, right? Uplifting. Let's go. Positive outlook. Uh, mm. Anything is possible. Yeah, anything is possible in both directions, according to one commenter, uh, Rick Arnett. Um, man, Rick is not not looking too too happy with this season. Uh, is a little bit of a lengthy comment. I'm going to read it uh, just so we can kind of address. He, he doesn't seem too optimistic about this team. So he says, quote, six and six may be a fantasy. Look at the butts on that field. They're going to get kicked. I can't wait to see the less Miles miss me yet memes. It's a lesson for fans and the board. You don't fire one of the winningest coaches of all time and the winningest coach over three seasons at LSU on a stumbling season. You risk replacing him with a mumbling lump that will fall flat on his face, drag the Tigers into the cellar. The big question is they fired less for eight and four. Will they pay off the mumbling O after he goes six and six? End quote.
1: So. <laughs> this man's screen name is not Coach
0: Ofan 1. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, okay, uh, a lot to unpack there. A lot, a lot to unpack. I, first of all, not that I'm saying this team is going to be world beaters and all that. I, I don't see – I don't want to say I don't see. I, I can't imagine this team goes 6-6. Six and six. They have to lose every – that means they're losing every single big game on their schedule – and not they're going to win them all, but I don't think they're going to lose every big game. Um, and like you, we were just saying before we started this podcast, you mentioned something about the, just the sheer level of talent on this team. Um, six and six would be yeah, a shock. They're, they're
1: really talented. And I'm, I mean, similar to you and, you know, not completely dissimilar from uh, Rick Arnett. I have my concerns about this team. I think there's a lot of question marks that get kind of glossed over. Some people look at them very harshly this time of year, but I think more often than not people kind of gloss over and give give too much benefit of the doubt too often uh, during camp because you hear all the positive reviews coming out of the, the coaching staff and everything. And so I, I think they have some potential, but I do have concerns that this could – this could be a season that's a little bit rough. We talked about it a little bit last week. Six and six, I think, is a possibility. I think looking at it as saying six and six, maybe a fantasy is kind of extreme. I, I mean, I look at this team as probably a seven and five, maybe eight and four team. Yeah. But to Rick's point, something that I said a lot last year is that LSU fired less Miles for going 10 and two too often and then settled into oh this is a great nine win season uh and and so suddenly less wins were the ceiling than what got the previous guy fired. And so I get that frustration totally. a lot. I think that that gets a little bit overlooked right now by people who are being um the flip side of, of Rick and being really positive.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I don't I don't even think so I know this sounds on paper. If I, what I'm about to say is a it goes to what your goes to your point. They fired less for, you know, yeah, the ten wins, but not being at the upper echelon, the elite. But just looking at the schedule, I don't, I don't think if they went eight and four, it is a terrible season. I think it still leaves O on a very hot seat because you do want to get to the point where the ten wins are consistent and you're also showing progress to get to the next level. But just based off who they're playing. Uh, four top ten teams plus probably the best team states fielded in I don't know maybe ever. Um, it's just a it's a tough schedule. It's a brutal schedule, and we've went into it all last week. And all of our thoughts are um, on the podcast. We can address it there. Um, but man, he, the one part of, I have a qualm with. He just says, look at the butts on the field. They're going to get whooped. Talent wise, they're filthy, um, and they got even more talented this week this past week with the announcement that Christian Fulton's ban, um, what's what I'm looking for, suspension, um, was overturned. He's fully reinstated, eligible for game one. And this is not just a guy that is going to make an impact. This is a guy that could be a day one starter potentially, a former five-star cornerback out of New Orleans, the number one corner in the country, number one player in the state of Louisiana. You know the Fultons pretty well. You've watched Christian play from high school – up until his time at LSU, um, this guy at his at his A-game across from Greedy, how good or how much better does that make this defense?
1: It makes the defense a lot better. He is a guy that came out of Rummel High School in Metairie more highly recruited than Greedy Williams when Greedy was coming out of Calvary Baptist. And there are still people that kind of have quietly mentioned to me that – Christian may be the best cornerback on that team Mm -hmm. now. I think just as we say all the time, you know, I'm kind of waiting to see about if he's quite that level, at least right off the bat, because there's a difference between being out there in practice and not, and then also being in a live game. And he hasn't had a chance to do much of that in the last couple of years, obviously not at all last year. And so I really want to see how he comes out against Miami and looks in some of those early games but I think he has the potential to be another lockdown corner. And with the emergence of Kelvin Joseph as a true freshman, looking like one of the best freshman corners they've had in a while, if not ever, as long as Corey Raymond and, and the whole tenure, of Les Miles and, and all that, that's, that's sick. The defensive secondary is nasty, and if the guys up front – are healthy, the defense looks like it can be one of the top defenses in the entire country. And they were gonna be good anyway, but when you add Christian into that mix and then, you know, Kelvin is potentially starting the season mm-hmm. as as your third or at least two A and two B right. corners, and you just it makes the entire defense that much better to have that many more guys to rely upon, that much more depth, that much more flexibility and all that. The one I mean, the only thing I have, the only question I have is Christian doesn't help the offense at all, and that was the <laughs> that was where all my question marks were, because I thought the defense was going to be good
0: anyway, but it's it's a big addition to give
1: that defense a chance to be elite.
0: Yeah, the rich get richer in that sense. Um and I think you mentioned the the biggest thing that it helps with this defense is allows more flexibility and versatility with the guys you want to play. You don't have to rely on as good as he's looked, you don't have to rely on true freshman Kelvin Joseph to step in from day one and and be that guy. You can shuffle him around. Whether you want to move him back to safety every now and then and do a three safety look, um, you want to put Kerry Vincent in the, at the nickel and let Christian and Kelvin play on the outside. You can. There's just so many more options when you have that guy when you have Christian available um, on this defense. And it's you know crazy to think the impact that just one one additional guy can have at a position that you already felt relatively good about. Uh, now you feel just even that much better, and I mean, like we talked about last week and a couple weeks ago, we broke down the defense. It's, there's just you got dudes all over the field. You really feel pretty good about your two deep almost everywhere over there. Um, and adding Christian is just is just going to be huge. I'm really excited to see him get on the field Sunday night. The other and just yeah. so that's all from the football standpoint. Chris, Christian Fulton is a kid that I absolutely
1: love. Yeah long before all of all of this just the way he carries himself a really good young dude to be around and so for him to have the opportunity and for the ncaa i think in our minds to get it right and not keep a guy that young off the field for two calendar years um for the way things played out i think is is just big and nice for him and and his brother, Keith, who's on the team now, and Big Keith. I mean, the whole family. Uh, it's its just its a nice thing to see him have this opportunity, and I think he will excel with it.
0: Yeah, it's great for him, great for his family, especially after his appeal was denied. You kind of—you mentioned in one of the podcasts that there – you kind of briefly mentioned there may have been a couple other avenues. Yeah. yeah you're smiling now. You kind of you knew something yeah. was in the works. But I think to the, a lot of people on the outside, just, it seemed like – even Joe Levis said – made some kind of comment about it, it felt like the end of the road. It felt like it was – just about over. They had ex- exhausted all the options. Um, obviously, this was kind of in their back pocket. And it, it kind of came at a time where it was a string of bad news for the program. Um, and so to get a little spark right before the, the season opener, and I'm sure everyone's seen the video of the the locker room once they all found out, it just kind of shows how how much they love Christian and how close this team is. And um, it's nice to get that good news, not yeah. uh, of course for Christian, but just for the team. It is a big boost. Yeah. The other piece of news – that happened this past week. Um, quite quite a bit less surprising um, was the official announcement that Joe Burrow will be the starting quarterback, something that I think we all saw coming the day that he announced he was coming to LSU. Um, so Coach O keeps saying how close of a competition it was, and they divvied the reps. We, well, I don't know the number, 427 to 426 reps and all that good stuff. And, he's not scared to use miles in the game if he has to, all that, all that stuff. First of all, (laughs) uh, how much of this are you buying? Do you think it really was that close of a competition or do you think behind the scenes or under the radar, it was, it was Joe's job regardless. um, And all that was kind of for show or to keep the other quarterbacks intrigued.
1: Yeah. This is the second time I've been asked this today. I was talking to Chris Gordy about it on radio earlier Mm -hmm. and I joked that, I think O and Saban were just in in some weird game of chicken to see who could avoid naming a starting quarterback the longest, and and O blinked, I guess. But this, not n- in neither case, did we really think it was going to be Miles Brennan or in Tuscaloosa Jalen Hurts. Right. There's there's too much there's too many tells that it was going to go the other way, and so I. I think a lot of it is more, a lot of that talk you mentioned is more coach speak, but also I understand the value of it because you might need two quarterbacks. We talked about a week or two ago when Justin and Lowell decided to transfer. It's not a lot of situations where you need four quarterbacks yeah. during the course of a season, but it's a fair amount of teams that end up needing two at some point. And, whether that be because Joe has issues at some point and just has some trouble getting going or because of knock on wood, you hope he doesn't get injured or nothing like that happens. But you hope that you can rely on the second guy and you want the second guy to have that confidence in himself to feel like he can do it. And you want the team to have that confidence in him that he can do it. At no point did I I think Miles Brennan was going to start the season as the starter but you've also you've heard o kind of leave the door open to you know if joe struggles we 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 might pull him mm-hmm. i don't think internally they have an expectation that that's going to be the case but making sure that that people don't think miles is a bum in case it does come up is i i understand that
0: yeah yeah i think i agree i think um you definitely want to have to i'm i'm really curious what's going to happen with miles and the new redshirt rules and if that's been discussed if that's a thing that he and his family are open to taking you can now play the new rules you can play in four games any four games um, any amount of time in those four games but if you play in a fifth you're now you're you know not eligible for the red shirt you can still play in four games and have a red shirt year so that'll be an interesting dynamic yeah. to see if if you can plug miles in I don't know if it's going to be one of those I mean are you gonna see <laughs> Andre sale and mop up duty instead of miles in some of these blowout games if um, if it comes down to it, or do you do they just not talk about the redshirt year and get Miles as many snaps when they can? Do you have any any thoughts? Devin White Wildcat, um, ooh, no, ooh, no. Ooh, ooh,
1: ooh. fourth quarter, Devin White quarter. Um, also, I, I want to say when I said you don't want the team to think Miles is a bum, I'm not saying Miles is a bum. <laughs> I'm just saying you don't want to go out there as the coach and say, oh, like he wasn't that good. I I mean I think we'll we'll see Miles in some spots early in the season I, I i think that he would get kind of the mop up duty which in in week 2 i'm sure they would hope would be a little bit extended and just kind of get a look at him another look at him in a live scenario and then it might just be a continue to evaluate it as the the season goes i think i don't think right now they necessarily look at redshirting him as as the plan but depending on how these first few weeks unfold it might become more of a, a discussion if, if things are going well for Joe and something that I guess at some point you need to discuss with miles and, and potentially his parents too um, there are some we I mean just like we talked about last last week there's some really early, Turning points where by that third week mm. they should have a pretty good sense of where they sit with with the teeth of the schedule just a few weeks uh, a few weeks away and, and maybe they have a better sense by the end of that third week how they feel about the situation.
0: It'll be very very interesting. That's something I'm going to watch in some of these. Um, like you mentioned, um, week two against Southeastern. If that game gets uh, you know a 40 point game or whatever, I'll be very curious to see if they throw miles into that situation or just let Andre Sale hand it off and try to save Miles for an injury situation where you can still get his red shirt or, um, or throw him in there and let him, uh, let him get some passes out. Um, sort of in the same light, they also released the official depth chart um, for week one, and some of the things that we talked about last week were kind of confirmed. Jonathan Giles is listed as the number one punt returner, uh, with Clyde Edwards-Elair as the number one kick returner uh Cole Tracy taking kicks. I guess a kind of a surprise. A true freshman Avery Atkins is uh doing the kickoffs. Um, not a name that I was super familiar with, but um uh, he's in there. Was there anything on this uh on the depth chart that was surprising to you? I was it was cool to see um your shiny new toys, Terrence Marshall and Jamar Chase both listed as kind of co starters for one of those uh wide receiver roles Uh, anything stand out to you or shocking or surprising or fun or interesting
1: no not at least not by the time this came out yeah I think maybe looking at the the beginning of of camp a little bit maybe there would have been some spots that would have been a little surprising but we saw how Braden Fajoco had had kind of um adjusted over to that nose tackle spot and just the way things had shaped up in in some spots over the course of of fall camp. I think the progress of Badera Traore to move over to right tackle and look like he has a chance to be the starter is pretty pretty big because he's a guy that I think they looked at coming into camp as maybe as much potential as anyone at that position, but that he was kind of a dark horse candidate behind – Deculus and McGee Mm -hmm. and and now he's there listed as an or with Adrian McGee to be figured out at some point during the course of this game week and we'll see whether that's a a good or or a bad or whether they feel good about those two guys or they just haven't started to to feel good about either one of them yet because just as it has been throughout camp that uh that position and that position group has been one of the biggest question marks and concerns to me.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting when you mentioned Deculus as he was in the battle for that right tackle spot, he's only listed here as the backup left guard behind Garrett Brumfield. So, I mean, obviously the guy who can, is fairly versatile. I'm sure he backs up a couple of these spots as well, but um, yeah, we'll see how that right tackle battle plays out. Um, Let's do a quick glimpse um, at Miami now. Uh, Team, <clears throat> that finished t- 10 and 3 last year. They finished ranked number I believe 13 in the country. Uh they're preseason number 8 this year and they return a decent amount of guys. Um offensively the biggest name is going to be Malik Warren He threw for uh 3,120 yards last year. Um kind of a big play, big bad play. Yeah, Boomer bust. Yeah, I mean he 26 touchdowns, which is nice, but then he also had 14 picks. Um he can move around as well. Um he completed fifty four percent of his passes and uh, running back Travis Homer is going to be the guy taken over at, uh, at tailback. He had just under a thousand yards last year nine sixty six uh, with eight touchdowns uh, he's going to lead the offense the defense uh, is kind of what is their bread and butter these te- These teams are relatively similar in the sense of they have some questions offensively, but they feel pretty good about their defense. Uh, they finished third in the country, forcing thirty one turnovers they were um, Plus fourteen on the season, which is uh, the fifth best in the country. So that that so I was looking at. Let's let's start there. Uh, the overall assessment of Miami with Rozier at quarterback and that really strong defense. Um, Manny Diaz, their defensive coordinator, we know he's super aggressive and going to be a guy who's going to put pressure, especially on this LSU offense with the new quarterback and a new system. I expect a lot of uh, a lot of blitzes, uh, a lot of stunts, a lot of different things thrown at the at the offense and at the quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, I look at both of these defenses being the strengths. I Honestly, I think the teams are kind of similar in that the quarterback's a little bit of an unknown for LSU. It's because Joe Burrow hasn't been there. For Miami, it's because uh, Malik Rozier had had been just so up and down, like we talked about boom or bust, where he's going to make some, some really big plays, but he's also going to throw some ill-advised interceptions and get himself in trouble. And then both offensive lines came in or come in with some some question marks. And so that's kind of why when we were breaking down the full season, I was looking at this game being kind of a defensive battle, a little awkward in some mm-hmm. spots where the, the offenses look a little bit clunky and are getting taken advantage of by the the opposing pass rushes and secondaries and whatnot. And that's, that's still kind of how I look at this as we head toward the DFW.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, so – I was looking at it, the two teams compared. This is last year's stats, so don't just take it with a grain of salt. Take it with the whole, a whole canister of salt. But um, I compared 11 different stats from, from these two teams last year. It was total offense, scoring offense, pass rush offense, third down conversions, and then the same thing on defense. Total scoring, rush pass, third down, and I threw in turnover margin. Um, Out of those 11 categories that we compared, LSU was better in eight. Miami was only better in three. The three they were better in was scoring offense. They averaged 29 points per game to LSU's 27. And pass offense, uh, 242 yards through the air versus 203. And then turnover margin, they were plus 14. LSU was plus 10. That was really their turnover chain was kind of their bread and butter. Um, So, I mean, on paper, I I think when you kind of just assess – just kind of the feel and the look of what just seems like to the average fan. It seems like Miami is in such a better spot than where LSU is. When You saw their their run when they rattled off, I think it was 10 straight wins, and they were ranked in the top four of the playoff and all that. And they closed the season very poorly with three losses to Pitt, Clemson, Wisconsin. Um, so they just felt like they had all this buzz, and then, you know, Miami was back and the U is back and all this kind of stuff. On paper, when you look at the body of work for the whole season last year, LSU – I mean, you could argue they had a better season. I, it's hard to say that when you lost to Troy and by 30 to Mississippi State. But um, just numbers-wise, they they stack up at the very least. And so I'm just curious at how this game is going to unfold. Again, a lot of pieces coming back for both teams um, defensively. And I am i don't know. I guess, the, I guess looking at the stats from last year, and again, I know it's last year and there's so many different factors to, to factor into this year. It just gives you a little more confidence, I think, if you're LSU or an LSU fan, at least assessing assessing this matchup because you had such a negative feel about LSU season when you kind of step away and look at it objectively. I don't; it, the outcomes weren't as good as what you wanted, but the numbers weren't quite as you know drastically bad into the or into the world type thing. Yeah, I for me, I look at in this matchup
1: which offensive line holds up better which quarterback makes fewer mistakes and then a number that I had kind of looked at for Miami that actually looking at your stat sheet the rank is is even worse than I was realizing the third down percentage third down conversions were a real problem for the Hurricanes last year especially in those those final games where the wheels just kind of came off for them. And so against this LSU defense, I think that's kind of a key for the Tigers is to continue to get off the field when they get that opportunity and not give Malik Rozier and company more opportunities to to try and bite them and maybe hit a big play. Because as good as this LSU defense is going to be, I think we have to keep in mind that it's still the first game of the season and Christian Fulton is just getting back. Uh, into an actual game for the first time in a long time. Kelvin Joseph is a freshman. Grant Delpit coming back off of a slight injury uh, that cost him some of his offseason prep and is still just a sophomore and some other pieces that are are newer faces in, in some spots in the in the front. And so there might be a bust or two here or there that cost them and you wanna take as many of those opportunities away and and have your strength show up in some of those pivotal moments on that side of the ball
0: yeah I think I mean you touched on the two biggest things that I was going to say are going to factor into this game the first one being that third down conversion uh percentage um defensively LSU was 38th in the country only allowing 35 percent conversions um offensively they were 46 so nothing nothing crazy great but Miami was 127th in the country in third down conversion this yeah, I knew they were
1: bad I didn't realize they were that bad that was Bad.
0: Um, so that's going to be huge. And then you, you mentioned the turnovers, which seems like – I feel like every game you can go into and you can say turnovers and it's kind of a, a cop-out answer. But I think it really applies to this one considering that was, was that was Miami's bread and, bread, bread and butter last year, being third in the country, forcing 31 turnovers total. Aside from that, their defense was – I mean, that was kind of their – that was kind of the name of the game. It was kind of a bend, don't break. They had a good defense, but it wasn't a great defense when you take away the turnover the turnover side of it. Um in total scoring, rush, and pass defense, LSU was top 25 in all four categories. Miami did not have a single category that was top 25 in any of those. So, just again, again, not that I scouted Miami, watched game in and game out, but it's it's seems like just numbers wise, they would give up give up some plays, and then they'd find a way to force a turnover, which is um, kind of an intangible stat that you you can't you know that was something. Just looking, you know, the honey badger is. Tyron Matthew, when he was here, it, this kind of a thing you can't teach. A, I guess you can teach it, but when he gets on the field, it just it happens or it doesn't. Um, and Miami's defense was that was the reason why they had the, the turnover chain. And um, Coach Joe made it made it clear that LSU does not have one in his press conference. That was a question that was asked, and LSU will not have a chain.
1: That's okay. Coach Bush has been working with those those safeties to make sure that that they put themselves in position to to maybe have a turnover chain of what's, their own. What's the number again? Uh, I believe it was 24 dropped interceptions or missed interceptions in two years. There you go. A
0: couple other guys on the uh, Miami to, to look at. Um, wide receiver Amon Richards. He was a freshman All-American last year. Uh, he had 49 uh, catches for 934 yards, which led the team also had three touchdowns another receiver was jeff thomas he's kind of a big play threat uh he averaged 22 yards a catch and he's also i believe gonna be the return guy he averaged um just under 22 yards a return on 32 kickoffs and the guys that we were talking about uh former lsu guys gerald willis on the defensive line and george brown on the offensive line um a couple of names and faces LSU guys may be familiar with if yeah, you see them suit up.
1: Gerald, obviously a, a big part of that Miami defensive front, a guy that LSU badly wanted in that that push for five for five, the year that Leonard and, and Malachi and Jamal Adams and company came through, um, chose, chose Florida, did not pan out, um, and kind of bounced around a little bit and now is at Miami as a redshirt senior transfer starter on that defensive there front. There you go. Um, but, th- I mean, there, there really is talent all over, and it's it's interesting to have some of the level of familiarity between the two teams considering how infrequently they
0: play. Shaq Quarterman is going to be one of these linebackers. Yeah. Um, that, dude's a, that dude's a beast. Um, he's played all 26 games. He's been on campus. He's been an All-American um, all ACC honors. He had 83 tackles last year, and he's just kind of the the Devin White of their defense. Um, it's going to be a fun
1: if you like linebackers yeah. each way. It's going to be a fun night to watch Quarterman, Zach McLeod, Michael Pinkney, and, yep. and some of those guys from Miami, and then the group that we're pretty
0: excited about for LSU as well. Jaquan Johnson is going to be the guy leading their their backfield. Also, a preseason All-American um, over at safety. And so it's, we've kind of touched on it a little bit a few different times in this episode, but just the overall battle is almost going to be the same thing that we're watching on both sides. It's going to be which offense can get things going against or we know which question marks on offense they can, can be answered against two really good defenses and um, all the question marks around Joe Burrow. You know, you see positive reviews and positive signs, but you don't know, you haven't seen it come to fruition. He doesn't have a lot of football – snaps uh live game action under his belt. On the flip side, you have Malik Rozier, who's like you mentioned a boomer bus, big play. We've seen him do really good things, seen him do some not so good things. Um, those are gonna be the, it's, I'm trying to think of a matchup besides those two, the, the quarterback versus the defense, that's gonna be big in this game. Um, that really just seems like the, the most obvious. And you mentioned the turnovers, which is a thing LSU did really well last year with Danny Etling only throwing two picks. Um, and Miami being, you know, turnover, chain, you. Um, is there any other matchups that you're watching in particular, um, obviously besides all of them since it's a season opener?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've hit on some of it with the, the offensive lines and the quarterbacks and, and all of that. And this isn't really a matchup in terms of the guy for LSU versus the guy for Miami, but – I think this could be a pretty close game, and yeah. you got two new kickers, and that was an issue for LSU. But I think they feel they feel pretty good about the the veteran graduate transfer that they bring in in Cole Tracy. Um, you know, Miami's got to replace got to replace a guy that had been doing it for them for for a little while. Um, you know, a, a four year guy for them and bring in a, a freshman, and uh, at least I, I think the freshman has the job now going in, and, and that could be interesting because LSU saw what can happen from some young kickers in some, some big games just a year ago.
0: It could be a welcome to the league, Cole Tracy, if he's got to be called upon game one to kick, uh, kick a nice winner. Um, so before we get into, into prediction, just a, a quick uh, – I guess an aesthetic note, um, Miami's going to be wearing these uniforms made from plastic waste from the ocean. It's got uh, orange tops with some green sleeves, white helmets, white pants. Have you seen these? Thoughts? Um,
1: I, I
0: should pull up a picture. I saw them. What's interesting to me
1: is, like, DJ Khaled, don't ever play yourself. <laughs> when you wear literal trash, <laughs> no matter how good it's, it might look, you open yourself
0: up to such a world of, of like, burns. That's like when LSU baseball wore those jerseys with the L's on them. Yeah. And then e- lost Tulane. Exactly then- like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: That was, I mean, I saw more people reacting to that joke than I did to the actual aesthetics of, yeah. of the uniform. I
0: didn't even think about that until you just said it, which is very funny. Um but I guess it lines LSU up to where they're the classic whites, uh, yellow hats, yellow pants. One one thing that is really cool, um, Mark Wraith announced uh, on Tuesday the team will be wearing a decal on their helmet to honor the shooting at, uh, I'm from Parkland, Florida, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I think they're gonna have a, a little MSD on their helmet. At, um, that was a shooting that happened in February in, in Parkland when the gunman – went to the school, killed 17 students and staff members, injured 17 more. So, um, really cool gesture in that regard from Miami. Um, so, I guess here we are, just a few days away. Do you, uh, let's hear your score prediction. You and I are both going to be there in uh, in Jerry World. What you got? I think
1: there's going to be some opportunity for a couple big plays, maybe, each way. And, so I think that as much as I expect the defenses to control the game, that it won't be a super low scoring game. I think it'll stay relatively low scoring like into the twenties and I'm giving LSU the benefit of the doubt right now until we see otherwise and saying that as many question marks as I have for the LSU offense, I've got some similar question marks for the Miami offense and, and am just looking at the LSU defense to kind of get things done as as the Tigers will need them to and pull out a score of
0: 23-20. You were right there with what I was going to (laughs) say. I had LSU at 24. I was debating going back and forth with Miami to have 20 or 21. Um, I'm going to give Miami 20. I'm going to copy your 20 and say 24-20. Actually, that that seems cheap. I'll say 21-24 just to be a little different. But I think we both have that same – the same idea of how the game going to unfold. Pretty low scoring. Probably have some busted coverages here or there. Just the first game, so something. Um, I'm sure both offenses will pull out some kind of uh, play to fool the defense and get some things going. And I also wouldn't be surprised, like you mentioned, to see some of the kickers involved.
1: Yeah. Either way, if we're playing prices rights rules, then I'm kind of screwed unless I hit it on the head. Um, I should I should have went first. Then <laughs> then <you go. laughs>
0: <laughs> but we'll see we'll break this game down uh, and look at next week's matchup with Southeastern on next week's episode of the Tiger Pride podcast. Don't forget to follow Jarrett on Twitter at Jarrett Roser for all your LSU updates. Oh yeah, Tiger 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 details, what you guys coming on Tiger De- I guess same old same old. You got some new coverage this week for game day?
1: Yeah, actually a couple of things that I've been kind of alluding to is we had the I had a feature on High, one of the most talented teams to come through the state in a while and trying to make some some high school history uh as i mentioned we want to make sure that we're still involved with with the high school coverage we also had one of our first big um you know guest appearances for a Pre-game breakdown analysis with Ryan Clark, the former LSU and Pittsburgh Steelers defensive back. A lot of people now know from from ESPN getting involved and just kind of breaking down Miami and, and some things to watch for this week. And that's something that we will be doing throughout the season with Ryan as well as some other guys that have been around this LSU program for, I mean, decades
0: now. Nice. That's awesome. Well, there you go. TigerDetails.com at Jarrett Roser on Twitter. Uh, You can hit me up at markclemens 225, then follow all the 225 brands, facebook.com slash 225 magazine, Instagram and Twitter at 225 Baton Rouge. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, go on iTunes and or SoundCloud and follow the Tiger Pride podcast presented by 225 magazine. We'll see you guys next week.